Heritage or homes, which is more important to you? On one hand, our heritage buildings and architecture tell the story of who we are, where we've come from, how we've lived, what we find beautiful. On the other, our population is increasing exponentially and housing affordability is at its lowest in 30 years. So when it comes to choosing between our history and our future, can we be sure we're making the right choices? Now, I don't want to set up a false binary here because clearly there are policy settings in the grey spaces in between. But should we be doing, for example, more to protect the pockets of heritage in our cities or is it wasteful to have a block of heritage-protected land in the middle of a housing crisis? Are we replacing our architectural history with bland, grey, off-the-shelf apartments? And does beauty matter, really, in urban landscapes? I know this is a topic close to your heart. I get a lot of texts from you about development, overdevelopment or a lack of housing. So I know that you're sitting somewhere in the mix here. What do you think? Heritage or homes or some combination in between? How do we navigate our way through both the housing crisis but retaining the parts of our cities that we find important? 0418 is the text line. You can also get in touch via the ABC Listen app like Anne. She says many of us who would class us as NIMBYs are not opposed to greater density in established suburbs. What I object to is poor quality multi-unit developments that many developers insert into existing neighbourhoods. They profit from borrowed amenity while contributing nothing and degrading the precinct. Very interesting point from Anne. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 0418 Dr. Elizabeth Farrelly is an architecture critic and author of Killing Sydney, The Fight for a City Soul. G'day, Elizabeth. Hi. What makes a building heritage? Who decides? Because this is pretty much like beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder. If you're homeless... I gather you probably don't appreciate uh, perhaps the heritage qualities because you've got a first-hand need. <laughs> well, look, um, I think it, it is a complicated question, but I think we make it more complicated and less satisfactory, I suppose, than it has to be. There are criteria set out internationally by ICOMOS, um, which is you know recognised heritage organisation. And I mean, I think that there is a tendency probably to be too loose with our listings. In other words, to, we've, there are many categories. It's not just about, for example, the best architecture of, of the time. We, we also have cultural history, uh, cultural heritage and, and environmental heritage and all sorts of other categories of heritage. And possibly that's become too broad um, because obviously you can't keep everything. But I think we need to think very carefully about exactly what we work want to keep and why and how we make that th those particular things safe. Because you'd make the argument that many grand Victorian and Georgian houses which are heritage listed are not terribly space efficient. I mean, they usually come with surrounding gardens, which are great, but we are also, on the other hand, facing this uh, housing crisis. Is there space in our heritage laws to list more modern styles, such as brutalist buildings, uh, which are a big feature of the Sydney skyline? Mm. Yeah, look, I think there is. I think there has to be because uh, clearly if we don't list more recent things, then in the future there won't be heritage. There'll only be heritage from certain eras. And so um, unless you unless you want to argue, and, and this, is a, this is a conversation that I think the whole public should be included in. Um, but unless you want to argue that, that say, the, the mid-century didn't produce anything worth keeping, then I think we need to think quite hard about how, how to do that and how to be um, discerning about exactly what we keep. And that means 
understanding what our criteria are and what what we value about heritage. I'm curious uh, about your comment over that the, the broader public should be included in this conversation because on one hand, you'd say that they are through um, exercising local council voting rights, uh, whether you think that they are beholden to properties, uh, developers' interests or not. Then you also have the developers themselves who have one singular um, motivation in mind. And then you perhaps for the heritage-listed buildings, you have the owner or occupant who uh, you know, also has has a view. Just explain to me how the general public isn't a part of these heritage law conversations. Uh, look, most people don't think about this until it affects something very close to them uh, next door, say, or their own house or, or similar. And what that means is that you essentially get um, participation from, if you like, the squeakiest wheels. Um, but what you don't get is a sort of general view of the overall populace. And there are I think, better ways of eliciting that view. For example, um, randomly selected citizen juries, to, uh, which I think actually should be uh, included up front in all of our planning systems at the very, the very front end to, to set the principles about, you know, what we want in our cities, not just what we want to keep in the way of old things and spaces, but also what we value in our streets is sunshine more important than, you know, density, for example. And if, if the good thing about a citizen jury that's randomly selected and weighted according to demographics is, um, is that you actually get something more or less like the popular wisdom. Uh, so I think that's actually a much better system to make it upfront in the planning system and make it broad and randomly selected across the populace. Yeah, that would um, alleviate the concern that heritage laws only are kind of are a, a, a relic of white Australia and also boomer <laughs> Australia. Because, you know, yes. a lot of the, the under 40-year-olds that I know uh, who rent... Yes who really don't give a fig about heritage laws. They are, they are lucky enough to rent and to buy, that's completely out of their, their mm. wildest dreams. So, I mean, really, mm. and this might be more of a philosophical question, but what good is heritage if we have a housing crisis? Look, I think that's a false dichotomy, to be honest. And I think um, there are lots of ways, too, in particular, in which heritage is sort of dragged into these arguments where it's not really appropriate. One is it's not the case that we either have affordable housing or we have heritage and we can't have both. Because I think if we're careful and wise, we can have both, but we haven't really got either at the moment. Um, and the other is it's not about nim nimbism, but, but there is... But there is an element um, in our planning conversation, if you like, of community groups and advocacy groups who are so desperate to protect something, uh, a neighbourhood, say, and so and feel so mistrustful of government and of developers because they feel as though government always favours developers, that they will drag heritage into arguments where it doesn't really belong and that isn't really what they care about. So I think we all need to be more more honest. Um, and that means we need to build a conversation that's more trusting between government and the populace. And, and again, I think those citizen juries, to, to, um, which would involve um, educational uh, uh, probably days of, of, you know, juries being invited to invite scholars and guests and people to advise them about how they should be thinking about these issues. But if you did that really well, I think you'd get a much better system where people, where we could agree 
on what needs to be protected. And then once you've agreed that and protect them properly, um, so it's not sort of up for grabs as heritage mostly is at the moment, but it's, it is actually protected by law, then everything else can be discussed about how we develop that. To your point, uh, a text on the text line, only investment in genuine public housing will solve the ever-escalating homelessness crisis, the comment (laughs) going to the idea that it uh, really isn't heritage or the fault of heritage laws, that is the fault of uh, federal and state governments. Also uh, on the text line, um, uh, Dean says more participation in decision-making is a good idea. Randomly chosen juries do just as well as experts in most areas. And this one, Michael from Largs, reminds me of the quip from Barry Humphreys about Sydney. It'll be fabulous when it's finished. Uh, <laughs> it said the late, great um, um, Barry Humphreys. If you've just yeah. joined me, it's 26 past four. Uh, architecture critic Dr. Elizabeth Farrelly is here. We're talking about the value, value really, of heritage buildings and some of the, um, well, the, the big changes that a, a, a New South Wales government is embarking on in terms of rezoning a lot of uh, metropolitan Sydney to better tackle the housing crisis. You know, housing density uh, has become a bit of an inevitability for a lot of metropolitan communities. A lot of these apartment buildings are, you know, grey and beige and uniform blocks. There is a nuance here to talk about the the, the, the aesthetic or the quality of high density housing. Have we lost the architecture uh, or quotients really in our high density living plans? Well, broadly speaking, I think, yes, we have. Um, and honestly, I, I think it's it's a misunderstanding. I think we either have, you know, low-density suburbs or we have 45-storey towers. There is, you know, what's known as the missing middle, which, which we're not building and should be investing in um, much more thoroughly, partly because so much of the – I mean, the, your listener was right about public housing. We absolutely need to build more. And a lot of our public housing is very – High quality and and should, and is heritage listed for very good reasons, but we need to be building more such housing and and affordable housing, and that means governments need to take control of developers more. But another thing that we need, I think, to think about and zone for and also re-legislate for is this missing middle thing, which would enable, you know, maybe low lowish rise between three and six or seven stories um, and that makes is much more inclined to make beautiful streets and interesting buildings and sort of explorable alleyways and walkable communities which is better for our health you know and better for climate so I think that part of our community building it needs desperately to be reinvestigated and it, sh- and it should be um, much more prioritise much more highly than just building towers everywhere, um, which is not going to produce a city that we love. Have you had a chance to look over the men's government's push for greater housing density in uh, the papers recently? Clearly, there was some Mm. accidental Mm. releases of maps Mm. and so forth, some density Mm. uh, changes, rezoning around rail corridors. Yep. Do you do you worry that in the push for, I suppose it would be called populism in terms of delivering people housing, a basic right mm. would be another way to put it, that we will we'll put aside uh, our heritage, uh, our respect for heritage and heritage um, laws? Uh, well, that heritage will be one of the casualties, uh, inevitably, but so will the value and amenity of our cities. And and it's what what I think is really heartbreaking is that it's based on a misunderstanding, which is, uh, and I think all politicians know this, but they're being quite cynical about it. It's not about supply. There is no evidence anywhere, and 
all scholars who've studied this know that this to, this to be the case. There is no evidence that just building more and more and more and more and letting developers do more and more and removing more and more rules so they can do it faster, uglier and more quickly, there's no evidence that any of that reduces prices. Uh, and the reason is that when you have not only negative gearing but masses of foreign investment and huge numbers of um, international students and short-term letting, that the market is essentially infinite. So you can't ever... Uh, gear up supply to the point where prices will actually drop. And and to be honest, because our our market is so developer-led, the minute prices do drop, developers stop building and will wait for the price to bounce back before they actually embark on the next building. And there's a, hundreds of thousands of apartments that have been approved and have not been built, you know, in part for that reason. So um, it's it's not the, – the idea that it's a simple supply-demand equation is – wrong and I think really dangerous. Sounds like there's a lot of false binaries in this conversation. Yes. Uh, great to talk mm -hmm. to you, architecture critic and author of Killing Sydney, The Fight for a City's Soul, Dr Elizabeth Farrelly. Great to talk to you. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.